0: We praise you for your faithfulness. We praise you that you are always with us, that you are always attentive to what is happening in your world, that nothing is catching you by surprise, but that you have been faithfully working in the lives of your people throughout this week to bring them together in this moment. May our hearts be open for what you have brought us for. May May we continue to worship you by the way that we listen and submit to you. May we bring you joy because of the great faithfulness that you have shown us and we respond with our worship and our willingness to listen to you now. We praise you and thank you. Amen. Amen. Before you sit down, turn to somebody next to you and say, I'm so glad you're here today.
1: Morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning, hey, welcome to uh, Sierra Bible Church. Um, my name is Jesse. If by chance you're new and you're visiting, I want to welcome you. Thank you for being here. Uh, for the most part, um, I get to uh, read through Scripture and teach Scripture on Sundays, and it's a pleasure to do so, but I am just a, a small part of a wonderful team here, and uh, on behalf of that team, just want to thank you for being here. If if you are new and you're looking to get plugged in, there is a card in the front seat, tells you about who we are, little QR code on there if you know how to use that. Uh, if not, that's okay too. Um, and we do have an app, uh, and obviously we're online, we're on all the social media stuff, just so you know what's going on, because there is a lot of things that are happening at the church. It, it is spring, moving into summer, uh, and that changes schedules for us and for you, and so you, if you want to stay uh in uh in touch with v b s we've got that coming up this summer and a few other things that's the place to do it um, This has been a hard week <clears throat> for the staff here. It's been uh, a difficult week for me as well and and so I just have to do a little bit of um, communicating with you uh just some of the things that are happening in our church. Uh, some of you may or may not know. Uh, Dave and Rebecca Schroeder, Dave has been part of our church and Rebecca for about 11 years. And Dave has become uh, a real important part of our church along with Rebecca. They have three kids, uh, (coughs) um, little Henry and uh, two wonderful daughters. And Dave has been battling cancer uh, and he uh, has gone home to see the Lord last night. Uh, So Dave has passed. (coughs) Uh, It's been hard for us to navigate through just because we love Dave so much. Uh, Myself uh, and Brad Knoll got to spend quite a bit of time with Dave uh, on Wednesday, um, singing uh, worship songs uh, and uh, sharing stories, laughing. It was really one of the best uh, goodbyes that I could ask for, but still heavy. Uh, And I want you to know, for those of you who who know Dave, and I know some of you do and some of you don't, all the way up until the end, Dave was praising the Lord, and all the way up into the end he was speaking of heaven and and this place that he knew he was going to uh, and and a smile on his face the whole while and, and I mean he literally he just days away, he knows where he's going to go, and he's got a smile on his face, and he's telling Rebecca to tell the kids just make sure they know where Daddy is and um uh <clears throat> and you know, Dave uh, has been a tremendous part, loving our kids here, and some of you might know on uh, On Tuesdays, he would run the Iwana games with the kids, and the kids absolutely loved him. He'd run all the games for VBS, and and Dave was one of those guys that was easily liked. He was fun to be around. Uh, I was I, I asked him beforehand, hey, can I share the one story about you? And he knew exactly what I was talking about, and he was like, of course, so I got to tell you the, the story. Uh, Dave and Rebecca... Came over to our house a few years back, and we were playing Catan. That's why we had him come over. Anybody ever play Catan? It's like Jesus' game, <laughs> for sure. Um, and uh, Catan's a resource game. It's a fun game, and we were getting into it, you know, and it's a trading game, and people start getting into it about, I'll trade you wheat, you know, for, for, <laughs> for whatever it is. And, um, and then all of a sudden, my wife goes, Dave, are your pants off? Dave goes yeah I'm hot and if you knew Dave this was a typical kind of Dave move at some point we were playing Catan and he had removed his sweatpants because the house was too hot and he was playing in his boxers and he didn't care he just did not care and he looked at my wife like she was an idiot for asking if his (laughs) pants were on and that was Dave um We will continue to support Rebecca and Dave if uh, we are working on doing a memorial on Saturday, which I know is fast. Um, They, you know, for some of you, this may be the first you've heard of this, uh, and in part that is because of the way that it's just been navigated for them. Uh, We've been praying with them for for several months, and and, uh, and this is just what God has done. And um, yeah, pray for the family. We'll be there for them. And then pray for the staff too. This is going to be a season that's tough. I got another phone call from another family in our church, uh, Dale and, and Joan Bush, for those of you who know them. And, and Dale passed away this week as well. It was a little bit more expected, but still it's, it's, it's hard. And so she's, uh, Joan has communicated that she'd like to do memorial service here. And, and so in this month, the staff here will uh, be part of two memorials, and uh, there'll be one this Saturday, and then I have a wedding on Monday. And this is one of those seasons where the reality of our faith, you've heard me say this before, uh, and someone else smarter than me has said it, but the reality of our faith is we are always moving between a funeral and a wedding. And as Christians, we, we understand the tension between mourning, pain, suffering, sin, but we also know that there's always resurrection too. And that there's always new life. And sometimes things have to die to live. We see that in the planting of a a seed. The seed dies before it's born again. And Dave has had the great privilege of passing from the shell that he possessed and has moved into the presence of God. Uh, And the promise that we have from Jesus is to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. And I shared with Dave, you know, hey, this week, I said, when you go, I got a few people. Could you track them down in heaven for me and can you say hello? And one of them is my dad. And Dave actually played piano at my dad's memorial. And, and he, he got a smile on his face and some tears in his eye. And he said, I would be, man, I'll know exactly where your dad is. I'll recognize him and, and, and say hello. And, and I'm, I'm a, there's a piece of me as I mourn, I'm also envious. He told me, this is, so, so you guys know, Dave's a vegetarian. Uh, so you still can be saved if you're a vegetarian? <laughs> and um, and Dave, uh, Dave said to me, he said, man, because he knows his Bible. He, the Bible talks about in Revelation that in heaven, there'll be the choicest cuts of meat. And I don't know how that all works out and and whatnot, but, but Dave admitted my first bite of something in heaven is probably going to be steak. <laughs> and, uh, he's looking forward to that and so am i. And I'm looking forward to the day I can go and eat a steak with Dave and my dad. And uh, I look forward to seeing you there as well. This is a journey. And this morning has felt a little weird for the staff. We we normally do, you know, announcements and all that and uh, Marley who was going to do them this morning just she did them the first service and she just came to me after the first service and said, "Hey, can I can I just not today?" And I said, "Absolutely." Well, Go on the internet for your announcements. We're going to talk about Jesus. We need Jesus this morning. Uh, and if you would turn to Ephesians chapter one, it's the series we're in. We're going to be in it for a while. So uh, if you're hoping to get something other than Ephesians in the next several months, you're not. You're going to get Ephesians. Just keep your hand up too if you want to borrow one of our Bibles. Uh, if you want to take it home, you can. Uh, just again, just keep your hand up, and we'll make sure we get you one. Um. Chapter 1 of Ephesians, it's just funny how God works sometimes because when as a pastor in a church like ours, there, there isn't, I don't get to just preach. And so I, I, what I don't get to do, and it's okay, I'm okay with it. I, I don't get to go hide in my office and not interact with people. It's been said that the most glorious thing of ministry in the church is the people. And the most frustrating thing with the church is the people. And it's like, I I could do this job so much better if you weren't here. (laughs) But I can't do the job if you're not here. And along with all of the chaos of this week and and being with family and, and those who are mourning and planning a wedding and all of these things that come in life, God sees fit to say, okay, you're in Ephesians 1. And Ephesians 1 is probably, in my opinion, and I probably have said this about multiple passages of the Bible, but Ephesians 1 is, is probably like one of the best passages in the Bible. It's, it's, also, it's also just jam-packed with meaning substance, life. You see, what happens in, a, in Ephesians 1, if we remember Paul, who planted this church and left behind Priscilla and Aquila, the power couple, and then eventually passed that church to young Timothy, and then young Timothy was put in charge of loving the church and teaching the church and ensuring that heresy wouldn't come into the church and that the gospel would not be maligned. Paul's in prison and he's writing to this Ephesians church to all of the churches in what is known as Asia Minor, that's modern-day Turkey. And and what Paul is attempting to do in chapter 1 is to give us a broad view of our salvation. Really you could say that Ephesians 1 is is like the perfect passage on soteriology. That's just a fancy word of saying the study of salvation. Uh, and I'm okay if, like, you don't get into the weeds of how one gets saved. I mean, Ephesians 1 is a passage that's used to teach, well, this is how salvation occurs from God's point of view. Uh, and, and in this particular passage, you have words like election and you have words like predestination before the foundation of the world. These are these are words that cause a, a great amount of concern for some Christians. They're, these verses are, along with Romans 9, are verses that that caused controversy in regards to w- when someone gets saved, how much of God's hand is it, like, God's choosing? And how much of it is your choosing? Like, what did you do? Did you reach out for God and then God saved you? Did God look down the corridor of time uh, and saw that you would choose him, so he chose you? Is he uh, affectious in his, in effectual in his his salvation, that it's all him, you know, that, that whole thing. Now, at the end of the day, it, it's, a, it's a great dialogue to have. Uh, I don't think it's something that should be argued over. I don't think it's something that, that should be fought over. Uh, I, I think these words, election and predestination, are in Scripture to cause praise and adoration to God. Uh, and so they're, they shouldn't be avoided. But at the same time, we have to recognize that, that God has a role to play in salvation. He wants us to understand that role. And that is supposed to bring us to a place of praise. So what Paul does in Ephesians 1, in this particular passage, is, is it's it's a lot like if you've ever gotten into an airplane and flown above Nevada and there's that spot when you're flying out of the Reno airport and you're in the air and you get a perfect view of Lake Tahoe, right? And in, And you're in the air and you can see like, okay, that's the shape of the lake. This is where the mountain peaks are. This is how the Rim Trail goes around it. This is where these pieces of land are adjacent to the lake, you get a real clear picture of what the lake looks like. Uh, for me, over all the years of living here, I've always really uh, looked at that lake, whether it was on a picture or a drawing or a photograph, and, and been in awe at the lake in which we uh, you know, live right by, this massive, beautiful, God-made piece of creation. Uh, but I'll be honest, every time I look at it from above, there's that little place down on the left of the lake that kind of hangs off the edge that just looks funny to me. You know, like, why, why did God put that weird piece of the lake there? But nonetheless, you get a great view in the air, right? And, and this is what Ephesians 1 is. Ephesians 1 is a broad view of salvation, it, God's work. Someone came to me after the first service and said exactly what I would want to hear after teaching a passage like this, which was, you taught me something, she said. And then she explained what she learned, and I'll explain that to you. Ephesians 1 is broken up in three ways. The first part of Ephesians 1 verses 1 through 6, which is where we'll be this morning, is God the Father's work in salvation. We're not going to stand this morning in part just because of the flow, but I want you to just look at the text for me. Go to verse 2 of Ephesians 1 and notice the introduction after Paul mentions he's an apostle and he gives us this introductory idea of who he is and what his identity is. He's called by the will of God. He's an apostle. He's a sent one. And he's writing to the saints. Uh, that's our identity uh, who are faithful in Christ. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from, our, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God the Father in verse 2. Then in verse 3, blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So this first section here, he says, okay, look, God the Father, that's what's being listed. That part of the the triune part of God who has always existed beforehand, God the Father. He is the Father. And God is the Father. Paul will tell us that he has blessed us because of Christ, through Christ. But look at what he says here as he goes on in verse 4. Even as he what? What's the word? chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption. The first part of Ephesians 1 is God the Father's work in salvation. After verse 6, if you read the scripture, you'll you'll see that then the emphasis is on the work of salvation being made possible because of Jesus. So you have God the Father. He literally says, God the Father has planned our salvation." He has chosen us, it says, literally before the foundation of the world. We're not reading it this week, but next week it will say, as we get into it, it will say, Jesus Christ has made this possible by his blood. He has redeemed us. That is, he's purchased us out of the slavery, out of slavery from sin. And he's redeemed us and bought us out from underneath the wrath of God and into the love of God. Notice he says he predestined us for adoption, but he says he's done this through love, through Christ. And then at the end of Ephesians 1, you'll see the Holy Spirit seals us for salvation. This is all just in chapter 1. God the Father predestines and elects. Jesus makes possible through his blood, and the Holy Spirit seals you for heaven. You know, this is the promise that Dave has had. That's why he is so confident in what God has has done in his life and has called to heaven. God the Father, here's what this passage is teaching. God the Father is saying that you cannot take credit for your salvation. Right? How many of you? How many of you did anything good before you were born? How many of you did anything bad before you were born? Right? One of my kids said to me the other day, hey, Dad, do you know every kid kicks their mom? And I was like, what? He, yeah, in the womb. Every kid kicks their mom. And he was trying to get me, like every kid has sinned against their mom, right? But really, that's not a sin. That's just being a baby. But the reality is, is that God is saying in here, he's saying, listen, I have chosen you. I have elected you. I have predestined you, which which is to predetermine beforehand. I, I have planned this before you ever knew, before you ever did anything good or bad. That's what Romans 9 says. Before anything that you've ever done, I've saved you. I have elected you. What he's saying is this. He's saying, I know and I knew that you would be saved all the way back in Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 3. And even before the foundation of the world and before the foundation of time, God is, has been at work from day one in bringing people to Jesus. And so Paul is letting us know. He's saying, okay, listen, listen. you have been elected by God the Father. You've been blessed by God the Father. He has given you fullness. And because of this fullness, he says, look at verse 3. It's just, just a couple words. Just a few. Blessed be God. Do you see it? So Paul starts out this letter, and basically what he's saying is this, is he's saying, okay, in regards to election, or in regards to your salvation, we have to understand that our salvation, for what purpose is our salvation? At some point, every single person in this room has asked the question, why do I exist? Maybe you've asked the question, why am I in Truckee?" I mean, I remember when we moved from San Diego to here, it was like, why in the world is God calling us from sunny San Diego to wintry, trucky California? Right? I know for some of you, you're like, I love skiing. Do you know how much I ski every year? Right? Some of you live in Tahoe, and you visit Tahoe because you love skiing and hiking. I don't. That's for the birds, man. You know, especially when one of you shows me a picture of K2 on a busy day. Or when we know that 89 and 267 are backed up all the way to Egypt. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, dude, I'm staying home, yo. And you go, okay, and then people ask me all the time, why are you here? Because God's effectual calling to be here has been clear as day. God has called my wife and I, to be in this location. Not because of snow, not because we love to ski and mountain bike and all that. We're here because we want to preach the gospel, and this is where God's called us to preach the gospel. Amen. And because of this goodness, this, this, this electing, this moving that God has for us, Paul says, our job is to bless God. That's my first point this morning. That when we recognize the work of God the Father... The church should respond by blessing God. Another way of saying that is to worship God or to praise God. See, Paul knew something about the Ephesians church that was true in the Ephesians church that's true in our church today. And that is, there isn't one of us, there's not one of us that is what we call worship neutral. Neutral right? The, the the Westminster Confession, I believe it's the Westminster Confession. If it's not the Westminster Confession, it's another confession, essentially says and asks this question. Okay, why do you exist is the question that it asks. Why, why, why are you here living? Why were you born? Why are you in Truckee? Why are you in Tahoe? Why are you wherever you're supposed to be? Why? 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 Why did God bring me into the world? I mean, my kids are asking this question right now. My My oldest son, and, and the rest of my kids, this is the first time for them that they can tangibly remember someone they love passing away. And my friends are friends with all of Dave's kids. And my son, who kind of tries to hold his golden heart uh, hidden from people, was texting his friends last night in the youth group and saying, hey, we need to be praying for the Schroeders. We need to be uh, reaching out to Charlotte and Sophia. And I can see my son asking the question, why? Why life? And then death. I mean, we're going to live and we're all going to die. I don't know if you came here this morning to be reminded of your, your frailty, your fragility, the fact that, that there is no guarantee when you walk out this door that you'll ever walk back in this door again. They're asking the question, why? Why do I exist? Why, do I, why am I living? What is the purpose of life? And, and, and those who have built this confession have answered it from Scripture, like Ephesians as well as other places in Scripture, that the chief end of man, the goal of man is to glorify God. When Paul says, blessed be God, Paul's essentially saying the whole purpose of the church, the whole purpose of Christians, the whole purpose of Christianity is to glorify God, to show the weight of God. And when he says blessed, that word blessed is actually, in the original language, is closer to shalom, the perfectness of God. That every desire, everything that we, we need is found in God. But they were smarter than this, the, those who've made confessions. Uh, I'm a big fan of confessions and creeds. Uh, and the reason for that is because essentially the confessions and creeds are a bunch of Christian guys who said, okay, listen, we got to get our ducks in a row. What do we really believe? And so they would get, basically get into a locked room and they would argue about Scripture. What does this mean? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to glorify God? What does worship mean? What does sin mean? And, and, and you can find these confessions, like the Westminster Confession, and it breaks it all down for you. It asks a question, and it's really simple and straightforward. They've spent a lot of time in prayer and study to make quick, piety little answers for us that we can grasp. And, and so this statement that they came up with, which was, the chief end of man is to glorify God. That should sound amazing to you. That basically, okay, my role, my job, the reason I exist... The reason God has me in Truckee, the reason God has you as a father, the reason that God has you as a wife or a husband or in any job is to glorify and magnify Christ. Dave was sitting there in the room with us this Wednesday and he said, man, I've been in the cancer center and I'm walking down the halls and he's telling people in his frailty, in his brokenness, he's telling people all the way up to the end, I'm going to heaven. And he said, some of those people in the cancer center are going, Okay, and others who know are going. Okay, all the way up until the end, he was witnessing, sharing Jesus, and he was telling us stories of, of all the folks that he had impacted with the gospel in his time of being sick, and then, and then we had the opportunity to, he he showed us his YouTube videos of of the the plays he did when he was part of Calvary Chapel. And if you know Dave, you know these things to be true. You know he was an angel in one of the skits rolling around on roller skates. (laughs) And if you know Dave, you know only Dave could pull off being an angel in roller skates. But all the way up to the end, he knew to glorify God. Now, now, I'm ranting to a certain degree, but that statement, that confession, the chief end of man is to glorify God, it continues and says, how do we do that? How do we glorify God? And the confession continues and says, by enjoying him forever. What God has done is he's connected our joy, he's connected our happiness, our contentment, he has hinged it in direct connection with God's glory. So essentially what Paul is saying and essentially what I'm trying to teach and what the confession is teaching is that your fulfillment in life, your joy in life, your purpose in life, your exuberance for life, your zeal for life come directly from glorifying God and enjoying all that God has to give you. You see, Ephesians 1, if you remember from last week, is written to a bunch of Christians in a secular world that is worshiping anything and everything other than Jesus. And he said, listen, the centrality of your happiness and the centrality of your joy is found in Christ. In fact, in these 14 verses, or at least in chapter 1, that word in Christ, 11 times, He's saying your fullness, your completeness, your, your everything is found in Christ. Blessed be God the Father. Praise God the Father. Because all of us are built to worship, right? None of us are worship neutral. Now, well, you know this, right? It, I remember the first time uh, seeing videos of um, young, young girls swooning over Michael Jackson concerts. Do you remember those as a kid? I I remember, I don't remember where I saw it, but I remember the first time someone was talked about how Elvis Presley came on the scene, right? How many of you were alive when Elvis Presley came on the scene? You don't have to. None of you want to raise your hand. Terry, thanks, buddy. I appreciate you, man. I I saw a documentary on this one time. I can't remember when. But you know, (laughs) we've come a long way, baby. Right? Back in the day, it was like, you cannot show Elvis Presley on TV Because he shook his hips too much. What prudes? (laughs) Little did they know what the future has, right? Like that was the thing. And you'd see these people, these gals in the crowd.
0: Oh.
1: Oh. Right? And then you guys are like, yeah, that's a woman's thing. That's what women do. They swoon over men. Well, It doesn't take much to look at how stupid guys are when it comes to worshiping and praising other things, does it? All you have to do, and I've done it multiple times, I've gone to many, many NFL football games, and if you walk into a stadium of an NFL football game, I've been to a Chief and Chargers game. They're rivals, just so you know. Some of you have been to a Raiders-Chargers game. Some of you have been to those kind of games, and you recognize when you look into the crowd, they are people dressing up like pirates for the Raiders and dressing up like, You know, if you're a Vikings fan, you paint yourself purple. You go, hey, man, what are you doing? Paint myself purple. All day? Yeah. Go Vikings. If you took a first century Jew and you put him in a time machine and you put him in the middle of a football stadium and he stood there with his culture, his background, and him knowing what the world is like and how people worship, he would look around and say, these people worship gladiators we that's what worship is. And you're you are absolutely built for it. You will give yourself to something. You will praise something. You will your heart will sing for something. And it's either singing for Christ. He's the center of all for you. He's the object of all for you or you are centering it around something else. I mean, I am just appalled that we now live in a day and age you think about where we came from with Elvis and and now, for those of you who may not be aware, we live in a culture that edifies and lifts up. Oh, hey, if you need to make money and you're a young woman, all you got to do is make an OnlyFans account. And you can connect with your fans, you can post racy pictures of yourself, and, and, and you can have all the things that you want. All of that is, is worship. That's why pornography exists. The reason men are drawn to it is because it's an easy way to feel loved and fulfilled without having to work for any love or fulfillment. It's an easy way to, to find healing, even if it's just for a moment. And this is what Romans chapter 1 says. Romans chapter 1 says that the, the chief end of man, it should be to worship God, but because of sin, in Romans one twenty three, it says that we actually exchange the glory, the glory of the immortal God for images resembling, resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creepy things. Well, <laughs> this is written in the Middle East. What's in the Middle East? You've got these massive pyramids. You've got the Sphinx. You've got the history of Egypt. And this is exactly what he's talking about. And today, we do the same thing. We care more for the woods and the, and the forest than we do for actual people, for, pe- for, for even unborn people. Because we exchange naturally without the intervention of Christ, without God's salvation, God the Father working through Jesus to save us, all of us will be guilty of exchanging the glory of God for that which is not really glory, for that which has been created by God. And all of us have this bend. He actually goes on in Romans 1 and says, they exchanged the truth, the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served creature rather than creator. So the question this morning is not, do you worship? The question this morning is, whom do you worship? You don't get to say, I don't worship. You may disagree with everything that I say here this morning, but I, I, I believe firmly that if you are here and you're a skeptic and you're searching for who God is, we're glad you're here, we want you to be here, but if you leave and you say, I don't believe any of that nonsense, that's fine, but I don't think you can say that about what I've just said about worship. I don't think you can walk out of here and go, I don't worship anything. Yes, you do. And if you don't believe me, the Bible says, where your treasure is, there is your heart. All you gotta do, open up on your little, your little app, your checking account, and look at where you've spent your money in the last month. And all of a sudden you start realizing, whoa, I I drink a little more coffee than I thought I did. Maybe. I gotta be careful. We got some coffee shop owners here. They don't want me to talk about this, but I. (laughs) I think if you added up the, the language there, you added up the numbers there, you would see you run to coffee and caffeine more than you run to Christ. And that's a gentle rebuke. That, that's not, hey, your salvation is being questioned. That's not, but, but at the end of the day, that is how you know if you've placed your life in the centrality of Jesus or not. You can at least be honest and say, you know what? Yeah, every now and then, I doctor myself and self-soothe myself with candy. Anybody like to do that? Man, I don't know what happened in the last year. I used to not snack at all, but man, I crave peanut butter cups every night now. (laughs) That's one way you know sin's real. That's how I know total depravity exists. Because the body never craves, like you never wake up and you never go, I could use a nice, good stock of broccoli. (laughs) No, you wake up and you're like, bacon, double fried. Right? We don't naturally crave that which is healthy. We crave that which is unhealthy. And I think if you just do a little bit of survey in your life and you go, okay, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to bless God. Not my own appetite. Do you know that's why we're called to fast as Christians? To remind ourselves that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There are a couple places you'll see in the scriptures, okay, avoid eating for a season so that you aren't aren't led by your natural appetites and your natural inclinations and the natural way that you want to live, but you'll trust the Spirit. It'll also go on to say in married couples, we'll say, hey, married couples, on occasion, Don't actually come together as a husband and wife in intimacy, but use that time of absence to remind yourself that you are connected with God. And then he gives a warning, praise God, because all our men will say, this is true, don't do that for too long, lest you get tempted. Make sure you come back together often. That's Paul's encouragement. Paul's encouragement is get rid of sensuality in your life for a little bit so that you can ensure that your worship is focused on Jesus and not that other thing. Are you with me this morning? You understand what I'm saying? All of these things that we have in Christ, the mountains, the skiing, the mountain biking, the, the, the water sports that we have, we have it in abundance here. None of it's bad, but every now and then God would say, maybe don't do those things so that you can make sure that you don't make those things ultimate things in your life. That your clothing you wear and the car that you drive, right, because this whole series is about identity. I'm not what I do. My friends, you may call me Pastor Jesse, but Pastor is not my identity. I'm a child of God. That's what I am. And, and, And this morning I sat down over here and just wept as a child of God. I've lost a friend. Our church is going to be mourning. I feel all of those things. I woke up this morning and my first thought wasn't, I can't wait to preach Ephesians 1. That wasn't what I thought. I thought, I woke up and my first thought, you know what it was? I want to take a nap. You ever had those mornings? And again, like I said, in God's, God's sovereignty and I told the staff, hey man, I've done my best to study this week and the sermon is going to be one of those kind of meals you feed your kids, right? You get what you get and you don't throw a fit. If you look at this passage, you break this passage down, and we read it, what you'll find in the English translation is you'll find all kinds of tools to help you. Two tools that you'll find that will help you in Ephesians 1. The first tool is you actually have verses. We know that. That wasn't there in the beginning. You know where chapter 1 starts, where chapter 2 is. Helps you see the paragraph breaks. In addition to that, they've done a wonderful job putting in sentences in chapter 1. Right? You know what a sentence is, don't you? I'm not an English teacher, but you have to have certain things to make a sentence. And only then is it a sentence. And at the end of the sentence, you always put a period. Well, in the original Greek, Paul, who normally is really eloquent, really put together his his Greek structure, is usually nailed in. You know what's interesting about Ephesians one? In the Greek, it's a mess. Do you know how many periods in the original language are in Ephesians chapter 1? There aren't any. Chapter 1 is one one run, long run, continuous sentence. Paul started writing about God the Father, and he just couldn't stop. Right, This is like a fourth or fifth grade kid just, God is awesome, God is great, he's so great, awesome, I love him, and God's going to do great things it's like Paul just like it's like one of those places in scripture where he's like I I can't get it out fast enough I've got to get you to understand who God is His zeal, his passion has overcome him in this particular portion of Scripture. He wants the church to know God the Father has saved you from the foundation past and that God has sent his Son to redeem you from sin and that that redemption comes from the purchase of the blood of Christ and that after you believed on that redemption and that salvation, then the Lord seals you with his Holy Spirit. He wants us to know that the language of praise the, 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 the verbs and, and the words that we use for praise have to be, be triunal. You have to be praying to God the Father and Jesus is the intercessor and the Holy Spirit who gives you power. Let me, let me give you an example of this. When was the last time you prayed to the Holy Spirit? That's part of the Trinity. That's the part of the Trinity that God left behind for every believer to indwell within you. When was the last time you said, Holy Spirit, thank you for convicting me of sin? When was the last time you prayed, Holy Spirit, would you convict me of sin? Holy Spirit, would you help me live a spirit-filled life, not a life of sensuality? I mean, one of the prayers that our elders have had for Dave is that he would be able to die well. And there was a short season we thought, man, I don't know, this is tough, this is hard. But it became really clear at the end with even his kids and his wife. Dave literally said, I can hear the Lord calling me home. Isn't that where we all want to be? That when our time comes, we know that our salvation is sure in time past because God made it so. We know that the blood of the Lamb has redeemed us, and that is the truth that we are found in Christ both legally and vitally. I mean, that's what that in Christ means. There's two meanings there. Legally, it means everything that is Christ is also yours. How many of you are married this morning? Come on, raise your hand. You've got to be proud about it. If you found a wife, you found a good thing, the Lord says. And if you haven't found a wife, keep looking. She's out there somewhere. She might even be here. She's got to look around a little bit. And when you get married, right, when you get married, and let's say one of the, the party of the spouse, they come in, and man, they've done their due diligence. They got an education. They've saved their money. They have no debt. They maybe even own a home. And they married somebody who is the opposite, because opposites attract, right? You you marry someone who's never heard, never heard of Dave Ramsey. (laughs) They know nothing about budgeting. All they know is that Visa has the ability to give them immediate happiness. And so they bring into the marriage some debt, and they bring in some poverty, and they bring in some bad mentalities. Well, legally, when you get married, when you do it under God's eyes, when you get married, guess what? The person in poverty gets to share all the wealth. All of a sudden, that person goes, I'm getting more debt. (laughs) But you know this, right? When you get married, what's mine is yours, and what's yours is mine. We share. That's what it means legally, and that's what's true in Christ. In Christ, when he says, blessed be God, we're in Christ, mentioned 11 times here, that's true legally. What that means is all of God's riches, all of God's fullness is shared with you. And in that legal marriage with Christ, which is what we'll get to in Ephesians 5, we'll get there in Ephesians 5, it It'll probably next year sometime, but we'll get there. All of it is now shared with God. And you know what? In that relationship, in that marriage with Christ, do you know what we bring into the marriage? The only thing you bring to Jesus, the only thing you bring to Jesus, and the only thing Jesus wants from you is your sin. When you came and when you come to the throne of God in faith, and, and God the Father declares in that marriage, do you covenant for richer or for poor? Jesus says yes, knowing that you are very, very poor. And then he gives you all of his wealth. You'll see a little bit later in chapter 2, Paul's prayer for all of the Ephesian problems and all their false worship is he says, the solution is that the eyes of your heart would be illuminated to the richness that you have in Jesus Christ. Are you hearing me, church, that your solution to your problem isn't to fix the problem? You've come here this morning, all of us have come here this morning, and there are a multitude of problems in this church. A multitude of problems in your marriage and with your kids. A multitude of problems. Do you know what the solution is according to Ephesians? That the eyes of your heart would be illuminated. That you would become aware of the riches you have in Jesus Christ. We get so busy we got to stop doing this and i got to start doing that. And Jesus is saying none of that matters until you understand who you are in Christ. And that your eyes finally wake up. That's the prayer for the church. That's what brings revival. That's what causes worship. When we finally wake up to the inheritance that we have in Jesus. Because not only are we bound to him legally, theologians say, we're also bound to him organically or vitally. Literally, the spirit of God in Christ comes into you. And the word that Peter uses when he describes this, the original word is sperma. It's the Bible's way of saying that when you put your faith in Christ, the literal DNA, the sperma of God, becomes a part of you. And it changes your DNA. It changes everything about you. As he says in verse 4, because of his great love. He loved you so much that he put his DNA in you. So that you could be a new creature. And that yes, you'll have... Hear me out, church, because a lot of churches get this wrong. Christianity is not about making your life better. It's about making this life bearable so that we can rejoice in the next one to come. It's about the pain in this life that does exist, but we ha- we don't mourn as those who don't have hope. Right the, To see again that confident look on Dave's face, I've got to see Jesus. I want all of us to be there one day. I'm going to go see the Lord. I hear him calling me home. And as Dave enters into that heaven, man, how awesome is it for him to finally grasp Ephesians 1, and he finally gets all of these weird, weird things that are hard for us to understand, right? One of the terms in Ephesians is mystery, things that are veiled that that Paul's trying to unveil, And, and, and this reality between God's, God's election and predestination and man's human choice, there's a there's a mystery there. There's something that we don't understand and some people are like, you gotta nail it down here, you gotta nail it down here and I think scripture's kind of like, you gotta just be in awe. I chose you, God. I think, I have no idea. God, you chose me. That's clear as day. You've saved me. There's a mystery into my salvation but you've done it and because you've done it, I'm gonna bless God and I'm gonna praise him and I'm gonna worship him. So would you stand with me? And as the worship team comes up, Let's sing to the Lord who has made our salvation sure. haven't even got into the blessings that should cause us to to sing out. And I'll just say, you know, as we're in this book, you know, I give you notes each week and those are there to guide you, but know that we're just going to layer this thing out and be led by the Lord as we teach through this, this series. And trust that God's going to speak to us and build us into the church that he wants us to be. Because you are here for a purpose. Friends, You, if you live here in Truckee and in the, the basin, God has called you to glorify himself. To shine bright and to share your faith with as many people as possible. Because they need that assurance of salvation like Dave had. That needs to be shared. And, and be sure that God will carry you in that calling. Because it tells us not only, not only did he foreknew us before the foundation of the world, but if you remember, it also says that he has established, established good works before the foundation of time that we would walk in them. That means that, this is so crazy to me, God knew not only when he was gonna, that he was going to save me, he knew that he was going to have me do Dave's memorial on Saturday. That that was going to be a good work I had to walk in, that I have to walk in. And he predestined and elected in his own right to bring me to this stage to preach the gospel to you, that you would go and preach the gospel to others. My job is fruitless unless you understand it as, as I equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We've come together in this moment so that we can be spread abroad in this community and share the great light and love of Christ with as many people as possible. There are still a few empty seats here. You know, every statistic says SBC won't grow past the number it's at because as soon as the sanctuary is 80% full, people stop inviting people. Would you do me a favor? Don't do that. Let's blow all those statistics out of the water. Like, what happens when someone's so in love with Jesus that they're okay to sit on the floor to worship God? They don't even need a chair. That's the kind of movement I want to be a part of. There's no parking here. We don't have room to put people. We don't have anything. We have, we have nowhere to store anything. We've got a dance floor in that corner over there. If you need a dance floor for anything, just let us know. We don't know where to store stuff. And we're calling out saying, okay, God, you have a purpose. The gospel is still going to go forth in Truckee, California. Whether we preach it or not, God says his, the rocks will cry out. And, and I, I cannot quiet down or mute the gospel. I cannot sit here and be content with just who's in the room. God has a calling for you. He wants to grow you. He wants to love you. He wants to call you onto new heights. But my friends, the gospel has always been in the business of calling more sinners into this place that they would know that they can be saints in Christ. And I don't care if we run out of room or not. We'll stack people. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care if people got to sit on your lap. It's worth it, isn't it? It has to be. It has to be worth it because the days are growing dark and Christ is literally looking for people to stand and say, here I am. Send me. I'm not content to live in this world and let it just go to trash. I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to tell as many people about Jesus as possible. And I want you to join me, yo. It's me getting gangster. Really white gangster boy. Let's go get This this location, this place, this town, let's go get it for Jesus. Let's make him so famous, nobody can deny him. Lord, we trust you for that work. We can't do it. I can't do it, but we know you can. May we yield to your spirit that you would do that work in our congregation, in our church, in our community. We trust you for it in Jesus' name. The church said, let's sing.
0: Let's declare Christ is enough for us. (laughs) (laughs) i <laughs>